Today, we are talking to S.A. Lawrence Welch, who is organizing the Indigenous Peoples March in Washington, D.C. And S.A., could you tell our listeners a little about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on today. I am originally from Alberta, Canada, and uh, I was raised um, throughout the, the prairies of uh of Alberta and the mountains, and then I made my way down to uh, Portland, Oregon, where I reside now. Um, I've spent most of my career working in uh, the basically the fallout of the residential school system in Canada, and uh, you know, dealing with reconciliation and retribution, and um, you know, advocating for those that suffer from intergenerational trauma. You know, I think that's so important for us to discuss. You know, because these issues are so prevalent, like the impact of those issues from the boarding school to colonialism, we still live with that impact in our communities. It's, you know, it's not something that we can easily ignore. And, you know, we're talking about the Indigenous Peoples March today. And could you tell us a little about, you know, how you've been able to bring together so many people in order to organize this event? And, you know, how are you going to be addressing, you know, some of the issues that we do face, like the impact of colonialism, the boarding schools, etc., through this march? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, first, I want to clarify that, you know, it's not just me, we are a very, very strong coalition of um, activists, tribal leaders, and allies that have come together to say enough is enough, you know, there are no borders to injustices that affect Indigenous people. We all, um, you know, universally uh, throughout the world have experienced the same uh, issues and traumas. Um, and that, you know, does directly come from colonialism. But also, you know, our land and our water rights are, you know, being denied. Like currently in Canada, there are uh, treaty rights and being broken as we speak um, regarding pipelines and it's it's time that we bridge the gap and unify and work together to help create a balance for you know our indigenous liberation it's there hasn't been a movement like this since the 70s and it's about time we we pick up where our you know relatives left off Absolutely, especially because, you know, I'm glad you mentioned globally because, you know, we t when people hear indigenous or native, they tend to think just, you know, here in America and Canada, but, you know, even right now down in South America, the indigenous people there are starting to face the same violence that our ancestors face with being violently removed from the land, being murdered, 
and, you know, just that outright violence that, you know, a lot of people tend to think like, no, that was hundreds and hundreds of years ago. You know, we're starting to see that now in our indigenous communities worldwide, whether it's in South America or you move across the ocean to Australia or to these indigenous communities that a lot of people don't even realize that, you know, they're indigenous people. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, and that's, uh, that is a, a, a huge aspect of it. You know, we are very fortunate that to live in the age of technology that we do where information is accessible, but there are still people that are living, that are indigenous people to, um, you know, continents and uh, countries that just don't have that access and those resources to see that they're not alone in their fights, you know, and they are, they they are dealing with the same things, and that's what you know that that colonial colonialism mentality kind of does. It separates us. It's been meant to segregate us, and the system set up to oppress us has been historically working. And it's time that those of us with those privileges of technology and um, advancement use them to our abilities to help liberate. Absolutely, and that's so important for us to do. You know, you mentioned unifying, and that's. Honestly, you know, that's what we need to do because right now, you know, everybody talks about our communities being so divided and not just, you know, native communities, but the nation at large. And, you know, what I'm seeing is the total opposite because I'm starting to see people come together in order to kind of combat some of these issues, especially now with the migrant caravan down at the southern border and, you know, Trump calling a humanitarian security crisis at the border and a lot of people are so removed and so ingrained with this idea that, you know, that these are villainous brown people coming to invade the U.S. And, you know, I had a conversation not too long ago with a relative of mine who just kind of like we were talking about these injustices and just kind of like a reflex. It was like, oh, they're, that's why we need to quit letting people in this country. They're coming to ruin, take our jobs and stuff. And I'm like, wait a second. I said, you realize that those people at the border, a majority of those people are indigenous people. Like they don't speak Spanish or Portuguese or any of these languages. They actually speak indigenous languages from, you know, the lands that they're coming from. And that's why it's so hard for them to get representation because no one speaks their language. And when I said that, it was, it kind of took him aback because, you know, we're a mm -hmm. native family and I don't think that ever crossed their mind that, oh, wait, you know, they are native people. Like there's other native people outside of, you know, how we view our native communities. And, you know, I, I it kind of just catches me off guard because I, even now, you know, when people, you still meet people who, when you let them know, you know, like, oh, I'm Choctaw or I'm Oto or I'm Navajo, they're still like, native still exist? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's, um, that's, you know, it's a really good point, you know, and I want to stress that we, we have these ideas so deeply ingrained that, you know, there is this uh, border set up that separates people and, you know, they, they were set up to secure the, the powerful that, you know, wanted this rather than, you know, the, the uh, needs of the indigenous, you know, population. Um, and that's, 
such a, a crucial uh, talking point that, you know, we don't recognize and we're so far removed from it because a lot of people don't understand if it hasn't directly happened to them, you know, and it's easy to turn off the television program and it's easy to turn off the news or, you know, say, I can't focus on this right now. You know, it's really detrimental to me or, you know, it makes me really sad, but we have to recognize it and acknowledge, you know, these injustices that are happening to actually persevere forward. Absolutely, especially because, you know, it's so easy to do that because for a lot of people, they don't have to live with the impact of it. And so it's so much easier for them to turn that blind eye and not realizing that, you know, in doing that, not only do they become complicit in it, but they're starting to encourage it, you know, like that lack of empathy for other human beings and just kind of like more of that me, me, me kind of mentality where if it doesn't affect me, then it's not a problem. And that's why so many of our issues as Native people still exist because, you know, for me, I always, when you're talking about like whether it's Native mascots or whether you're talking about like the murdered and missing Indigenous women, you know, people are always thinking, well, it doesn't affect me, so how can it really be a big problem? And, you know, it's mm -hmm. like, it doesn't matter if it affects you or not, because the attitude behind it, the motive behind these issues still affects you, you know, whether that, whether that power comes from like, sexism yeah. or, you know, racism, it has an impact on every single one of us. Yeah, I just, you know, indigenous issues affect everyone, you know, it's, it starts at us as a base, but it does spread and it is. An, a real thing you know it's 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 such a, a pity and a shame that we you know are so concerned about um elevating our ourselves on a much more personal and intimate level than we are you know of thinking about our neighbor we're all fighting for the same thing but we covet the peace that we seem to break off for ourselves without recognizing that if we work together the peace that we break off will be much larger you know yeah, and it's it's kind of finding ways to relate that to other communities, too, because so much of our issues are, you know, all intersected and they all stem from the same branches of white supremacy and colonialism. And I think it's really hard for people to wrap their heads around this because, you know, while these are, you know, that's the foundation of these issues, people aren't really, um, I guess you would say, more conscious of, you know, how these issues you know, they impact all of our communities, but depending on how our communities, whether, you know, we're more like our tribal communities or, you know, maybe you're an urban community, they have a different impact. Like the issues mm -hmm. stem from the same branches, same causes, but the impact looks very differently from community to community. And, you know, even how we heal those issues within our community, like what works for native communities isn't going to work for the black community, or it's not going to work for you know, maybe the Asian community. And so, you know, I think that's what makes it so hard for people to kind of realize that we need to work together because they're thinking, but that's not going to work for us. But if we still come together and we still discuss these issues as a collective, then we're more able to, to me, I think, you know, just more able to kind of look at these issues and be like, oh, well, you know, this may not work for you, but this could work for us. Or we could take bits and pieces of what this community is doing and, you know, kind of go from there and make it work for our community or use it as a starting point, even just to start the discussion even. And 
you know, I think that's what makes it just so hard for us to really come together. And I think that's why so every time we do start to talk about solidarity or unifying or being able to work with other communities, you know, it always comes back to this almost like oppression Olympics, you know, like, oh, no, well, you know, it affects us worse or <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's funny, you know, when we focus more on our, our differences or the um, – the, the negative uh, connotations that could come from, you know, unification and, you know, solidarity with each other. It's, uh, it, it, it's so detrimental because we could be focusing on our common grounds. There's so much more in common than we have separating us, but the thing separating us seems so large and, and so significant that, you know, we don't lose who we are when we help, you know, our, our relatives and our, and our, our kin. It, we actually liberate each ourselves by doing it you know that's the the greatest form of of liberation is you know understanding that our existence is meant to uh, elevate others right exactly because I mean when you really think about it that's how native communities still exist today because we are very communal people and you know it's not that we were just helping um you know, each other as natives, like our own individual nations, but, you know, also reaching out to other nations and helping them as well. You know, that's why, you know, we've managed to survive colonialism while we've managed to attempt, Mm -hmm. you know, some of the, you know, most egregious forms of genocide that you could possibly think of, you know, we're still here despite all that. And so much of that is because of the love that we just have for our communities and for each other, like right. being able to, you know, pull each other up or to give what you, you have, know, even when you don't have. Right. You know, there has been a lot of self-preservation in our communities. That is, um, you know, it can be very uh, disheartening to see it, you know, when, again, going back to the, the point of, you know, fighting for what you've worked for, but, you know, the reality behind that too is we, don't necessarily um, realize that, sorry, this is going to be a whole train of thought here, so bear with me. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's, it's funny because when we work on self-preservation and, you know, have become, you know, quote unquote, colonialized and we lose our, our, our cultural significance along the way, um, and be it like, you know, our, our fundamental, you know, belief systems while we are preserving ourselves, you know, getting back to that is a a process that isn't going to happen overnight. You know, there's a lot of people that are still learning their languages or, you know, still trying to find their families after being separated due to survival mechanisms. And there's a lot of that going on within our communities where, you know, it's, we need to give people patience and time to understand, you know, you can't, you can't be upset at somebody for, you know, being standoffish or being unreceptive, but you can offer them patience and kindness to, you know, open that door back up to a greater understanding. This is only a step, you know, for, towards the future. And, you know, we're really hopeful with this march and with the movement that we're going to be able to start bridging gaps for, you know, the next generation and, you know, attain the things that we, we once had. And I think that's what's important too, um, you know, patience, because, you know, we are still having to like do the work to reclaim so much that has been lost or just straight out taken from us. And, you know, like sep- 
families coming together, like trying to find their roots, trying to come back into our native communities. You know, I'm always, it's, it's always a hard conversation to have because for like, on one hand, you understand where that standoffish comes from, like that distrust of, Mm -hmm. you know, people saying, Oh, I'm native and wanting to just claim that space within our communities or, you know, use it as a talking point or to be trendy or to silence natives. And, you know, you know, that's where that comes from. But at the same time, there are natives who have been separated through no fault of their own through, you know, being adopted out like the 60 scoop or, you know, being Mm -hmm. separated during the boarding schools from their families and having to reconnect and wanting to come back in and, you know, kind of meeting like just having all these walls put up in their way, like, oh, no, you can't be here. Like, oh, you haven't been here, so you're not this. And, you know, like, it's, it's such a hard, like, conversation and such a hard gap to kind of breach because, you know, it's, we don't have the patience with each other anymore. Like, especially now with call-out culture and social media, you know, it makes it just so much easier to just want to, um, have some instant gratification of blocking a person out or, you know, automatically shutting them down rather than bringing them in and trying to educate and being like, okay, you know, well, you want to reconnect. Well, this is the way that it needs to go. And, you know, it's kind of like, oh, I don't even know how to say it. <laughs> it's, well, it's easier to uh, simplify things. But, you know, with the call-out culture comment, it's easier to simplify things by saying, this is the way it is, and this is the way I'm going to believe it. And then that perpetuates the cycle, you know. Yes. I, I often have this in a lot of the uh, uh, conversations and uh, work that I've done is, you know, what makes a person indigenous, you know. Um, I, I definitely have received some slack uh, for my comments regarding, you know, whether you are are of Native ancestry, uh, but you've never been indigenous a day in your life. There are people who you know, have suffered from these systems set in place to be oppressive and to, you know, assimilate our our communities and our, our peoples to, you know, fit this mold of what, you know, is societally acceptable. Yet, you know, they are a prime example of being Indigenous because they have literally suffered the system of being Indigenous mm-hmm. um, differently from our relatives that have grown up on reservations or in, you know, the urban communities but are still attached to their, you know, cultural uh, sources, you know, it doesn't make uh, the person who grew up any less significant, but, you know, it definitely, um, it definitely is a, a point that needs to be um, breached because it really we need is. to heal, we need to heal these people. We need to heal our people. We need to heal the people and we need to work together to make that come to fruition. Yes. And it's so hard because, you know, when it comes to native identity, you know, people just want this easy, simplified version of what it means to be indigenous, but yet it's so complex and so layered. And depending on what native community you're from, it's very different. Right. You know, and I know a lot of people tend to think of native identity just in terms of, you know, blood, of blood quantum, of citizenship. But 
it goes so much more deeper than that because you know I, I you know I've been making this point quite a bit when talking about Elizabeth Warren is that she's been very careful in making that distinction between tribal citizenship and ancestry but yet not all natives are citizens of their tribes and you know and, and not all are federal, federally recognized. Exactly. You know, and that ancestry, yeah. you know, despite citizenship, they still have that ancestry. And that ancestry mm-hmm. is a part of their identity. It's not just a talking point or it's not just a DNA test that says, oh, look what I have in my blood. You know, that ancestry mm-hmm. that they have makes them a part of their community. You know, they're the, whether it's mm-hmm. through blood, whether it's through kinship or you know, the relationships that they have within their tribe or participation or, you know, just that reciprocity, okay, I'm not even going to try with that word today, but you know, with, you know, yes, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, it's like, we always say, you know, it's not just who you claim to be, but who claims you back. And a lot of people tend to think, Mm -hmm. well, but, oh, they don't claim this person or they don't claim that person because they're not a citizenship or because of blood quantum. But yet, you know, when you look at our Native communities, we know who our people are and we know who they are. You know, like we know their families, we know what they do in our communities and they are a part of us, whether or not they have that citizenship or not. So, you know, even in making that distinction between citizenship and ancestry, you know, you still have to take into account that, well, yeah, but, you know, not all of our communities you know not we're given choices exactly (laughs) there you go yeah it's it's... that's literally what it comes down to and you know we um inherently you know as um very different nations but people uh see that inherent sadness in you know our community members that have been um taken away from us and it's it's time that we you know do open up and you know give people the opportunity to regain what was taken from them. But also, you know, I am, I am cautious as well, you know, Mm -hmm. because there are a lot of cases where, you know, being, (laughs) being of Cherokee descent, it, you know, doesn't, um, doesn't speak volumes when, you know, you are, um, so removed from siding with, yeah, Yeah. And like the values that we have, you know, and that's why, you know, it's so hard for people to understand this because, you know, for me, you know, being indigenous, you know, it's more than that blood because I even like for me, the way that I see it is, you know, I'm born, I'm Oto, I'm Choctaw, I know who my family is. But even in spite Mm -hmm. of that, you know, I don't feel that I am entitled to be a part of my community. Like to me, it's something that we almost have to um, earn, and I don't yeah, want to put in the like, work. Yeah, you yeah. put in the work. You know, you take the time to you know make those connections within your tribe to maintain them, to learn your languages, your tradition, to carry on what it is to be indigenous, and because it's not just in our blood. You know, we know natives who, you know, who grew up in native communities, yet they shun everything native because of the shame that has been inflicted just the same that you have natives who you know were taken from their families and you know don't know about the values that natives have and you know kind of cling to the whiteness that they've been brought up in not realizing that that is so detrimental not just to them but to their own people 
And there's so many different nuances that we have to take into account and discuss if we are really talking about decolonizing and healing our people. And it's not just this, oh, we're going to shut you out and that solves the problem. No, we have to bring people back in. We have to give them that connection to, you know, their inherent identities and values that, you know, are missing, that were taken, that, you know, the rest of us who grew up in our native communities have been, you know, a little more privileged in being able to grow up with that or to have some knowledge of it, whether or not we accept it or reject it. Right. Absolutely. You know, and that's, and that's the thing it's, you know, it is, um, and I say this very, very, um, like wholeheartedly, it is a privilege to be able to grow up with your culture and with your people surrounded by your family. And those who haven't had that privilege, you know, did lose out and, and accepting them and, and bringing them in and teaching them and, and cultivating them. And, you know, understanding that they are, like baby deer, you know, they're just going to get their feet. Yeah. (laughs) And it takes time. Like, you know, even now we're not all on the same level of healing or understanding. Like some of us Mm -hmm. are just now starting or some of us have maybe started when we have been privileged, you know, like you had somebody in your family who was super, you know, able to kind of like step above their circumstances and heal earlier than others. And so you got the benefit of their healing, you know, whereas some of us are the first in our families to, you know, start Mm -hmm. that cycle of healing. And we're all at these different levels and we're still learning. Like we're, we can't, there's not one of us that can say we're totally decolonized because it's a whole process. Because we're not. (laughs) Yeah. Like it's a process we're going to spend the rest of our lives undergoing And even, you know, with the activism and the work that we do in our communities, you know, most of us will never see the fruit of that labor in our lifetimes, but we still do it. But that's not the point. Yeah. For the future generations. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, and that's why, you know, putting something like this on during the Indigenous Peoples March is so important because it is setting the foundation. It's setting the groundwork for the next generations to have that fruit and it may not happen in their lifetime and it may not happen in the next, but you know, it's, it has to start somewhere and we are responsible for our children and we are responsible for our earth and we are responsible for our people and it's time. It really is. It's, and you know, I think that's what I like about being alive just now in this time, you know, there's a lot of horrible things that are going on. But if you really look beyond that, you see so much love, so much passion, and so many people like coming together to work on these issues and not through hate or not through revenge, but because they truly believe that you lay that groundwork now and we start to make things better later. Like if we're doing it now, it's going to happen. Like we, it starts and you know, we've seen it throughout history you know, there's things going on now that are terrible. There's things that have always been terrible. But, you know, when you look at what our ancestors went through with every generation, it gets a little better. It gets a little better. It gets a little better. Not much, mm-hmm. but, you know, it does show yeah. that that work, that it does start to have a cause. <laughs> and we get Absolutely. to reap the benefits of that cause, you know, and absolutely, you know, it's like, I'm so excited for the March because, you know, I, I love when native people come together and yeah. I mean, it's 
to me, it's always amazing when you have so many Native people who come together for a singular cause, who are willing to stand up for their people. And to, I get, to me, it just like shows courage, you know, like not just mm -hmm. for us to be able to stand up and speak, but it shows our future generations that they don't have to be afraid and that no matter how alone they may feel, that they have these entire nations behind them, entire communities and people who are always going to be there to, you know, back them up, support them. And, you know, they're not going to be alone. Like we're there along with the spirits of our ancestors. Every step of the way, we are totally supported by, you know, just so much love from our communities and just so much love for, you know, our people, our traditions and just for, you know, creation in general. Mm hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, you know, again, like uh, going back to a little uh, point you said there, it's it's happening like with the march. It was, it's happening on such a large scale. But, you know, I want to reassure people that are out there that there's so much that you can do within your own communities. You know, um, being from Canada and I said, like growing up between the, the mountains and the prairies, I, you know, I got to see a very dispersed demographic of, you know, our uh, first peoples there, the, the first peoples there. And you can step out onto a street and you can offer assistance to somebody who is in need or in crisis. There's so many ways of being able to access your community and help. You know, it doesn't have to be on a grander scale. Those small steps, those small offerings mm -hmm. are such a big part of the healing process. There's so many ways to be involved. And uh, I encourage people to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. And because, you know, I think that's the other thing is that a lot of people tend to think that to make change, it has to be big. But, you know, for me, it's always, it always goes back to, you know, making a choice. Mm -hmm. And it starts with those little steps. It starts with who you want to be, who, what do you want to see in your community and to just do it. If you see a need, like don't wait for somebody or think that somebody else is going to take care of it, you know, take the initiative to just do it. And, you know, because I guess when I grew up, I didn't have a lot of like native role models, you know, like on TV or, you know, in roles that I wanted to be in. I didn't see that. And, Okay. So like I kind of like I, I had this whole essay I wrote in college and it was like what it means to be indigenous in the 21st century. And I found a copy of this and I was reading it thinking like, whoa, <laughs> like I was so <laughs> disenfranchised with being native. Like I was so thirsty for some kind of leadership that I wasn't seeing. Like the whole point of this essay was like, how can we exist if we don't have leaders teaching us how to be? Like, you know, if we're identifying with, you know, Budweiser or if we're identifying with this, but not our culture, then where, how are we going to be indigenous? And I was just so disenfranchised because, and I didn't realize it now, then, but now I do because of the work that I've done with Native Max Magazine and even with the Tribe Called Geek, being able to meet people from different communities and see the work that they're doing within their communities that don't always, you know, get that grand scale recognition. And it opened my eyes to so much and even to the realization that, you know, throughout my life that I did have Native role models, that there were people in my community that were stepping up to make things better, that were wanting to do better for the future. And even for me, that were there advocating for me. 
and trying to make sure that, you know, I was going to have the, you know, best opportunities that I could have. And I never realized that until, you know, I started doing work in the media and started seeing to the work within the community. And I was just like, whoa, you know, like, so it doesn't have to, you know, be something grand. It's something that is simple as being, as, you know, deciding I'm going to be a good mother. I'm going to be a good daughter or brother or sister or uncle, or I'm going to pick up this piece of trash or I'm going to volunteer. I'm going to do this. So, you know, you made a really good point there that, you know, it starts in our communities and it starts with us just making a choice to want to do better. Right. And, and that's the, uh, that's the entire purpose behind this. You know, we're, we want, like I could say, we're tired of, you know, uh, living in the shadows of uh, another person's plans and, you know, let's step forward into this light, you know, it's, it's our time. But there's so many people that don't have that ability. Um, so, you know, working within their communities is the most important thing. And I love that comment about, you know, being a good wife, being a good uh, mother, being a good sister. You know, that is such a, a a strong point for, you know, our people as a whole. You know, like, be the best version of yourself possible. And also, you know, understand when people falter, and especially people within our community, you know, when we when we lash out or we have our anger or sadness, it comes from a place of, you know, it. How do I word this? Um, you, we have to understand the root of where that anger and sadness is coming from because it's based on our circumstances, you know, mm-hmm. and, and not that we can't be held accountable for those things, but to be understood is all that it really comes down to. And patience. You know, because so much of that, like the behavior too, like, you know, when you see natives who are involved in addiction or, you know, who are struggling, you know, it's, there's a reason for that. There's a cause that we don't always understand, you know, it could be domestic abuse, it could be sexual abuse, it could be, but it stems from abuse, you know, it stems from the violence and colonialism, that historical trauma that just gets passed down because it has really damaged the way that we relate to each other as human beings and the way that we even view our emotions. You know, we hold so much of it inside and think that, oh, you know, you kind of have to be that stereotypical stoic Indian, you know what I mean? (laughs) Or that warrior that we never realize that, you know, it's okay to be weak and to ask for help. And, you know, it's, it's just kind of like learning to even be patient with ourselves Because, you know, we Mm -hmm. all struggle with, you know, battles that we, whether, you know, no matter where it stems from, you know, we all have our own struggles. We all have our own battles that we're dealing with, but that doesn't mean that we're not able to heal or that we're not able to help others or even be patient with others. Well, the first step to healing is not feeling alone. And, you know, if we are capable of, you know, reaching out to, you know, our, our brothers and sisters and, you know, asking them, you know, are you okay? Or, you know, can starting a dialogue, you know, and it, again, the comment of the oppression Olympics, like kind of, uh, <laughs> it's, it's funny because it's one of those things where, you know, we've had it terrible, but at the same time, we also can be in control of our own, reactions to it you know like and that's something that we have to learn again patience comes in with that as well but 
we have to to unlearn is to a process itself, you know, and to unlearn behaviors. And it's the same thing with addiction. You know, you can definitely be addicted to the sadness and that inherent trauma that goes along with just being indigenous. But you can also push through it and push forward. And, you know, we need more resources to be able to set up our communities for success in that. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, I think that's where we're at now. Um, Because, you know, as natives, we've had to exist within survival mode for so long that it's like reflex. You know, we do it as naturally Mm -hmm. as we breathe. And, you know, we're in this point in time where we don't just have to survive. Like now's the time when we're able to thrive. Like we're able to be, you know, and, you know, where we're able to be a lawyer or a doctor. I mean, we've had natives who have you know, I'm going to give a shout out to him because right now I'm just still in awe of this. But we have Aaron Yazi who has designed hardware on the Mars rover that is now on Mars. <laughs> so we literally Amazing. have, you know, native <laughs> knowledge and science on Mars right now. And so, you know, like we're in this time when we can thrive, like where we can reach bigger than what we've ever thought possible and it be a reality for us. And I think what is holding us back from that is just the fact that we cannot seem to get out of survival mode to step into that thrival mm-hmm. mode because, you know, the tools that serve us while we're surviving, you know, they no longer serve us when we're trying to thrive. They inhibit us. And, you know, that's something I struggle with because I find myself, you know, like, oh, you know, I need to be in thrival mode. Like I know this on a conscious level. But I am so used to living within that survival mode, you know, in just, you know, having to deal with lupus, depression, and, you know, being a suicide survivor that, you know, I do know that being in that, you know, I hold myself back a lot and it's really hard to kind of step outside of it. You know, you know what I mean? When it's just, well, it's it's an absolute privilege to be able to step outside of it. Yeah, it is. Like, uh, you know, there's a lot, like there's a lot of things that are still inaccessible to our communities, you know, like uh, positive mental health services, you know, it's such a, yes. it's one of those things that are, it's still very much a, um, uh, a black spot on it, if you will, you know, when it, it comes to getting help. And it's, you know, um, if I can share a personal uh, anecdote to that, you know, I lost my father long before he died due to his time spent in a residential school because he never sought um, mental health help. And, you know, in in a turn of that, you know, it was due to um, an accumulation of circumstances that put him into a state where he ended up dying alone because of his mental health issues, you know, and there was such a stigma around it to receive help that, you know, a lot of our, and especially, you know, men in our community never do, never receive that, Mm -hmm. you know, um, that care or that compassion, you know. It's, it's, it's very unfortunate. It really is because, you know, it is a privilege to be in that thrival mode because I think of like, you know, I even look at my family now and, you know, I grew up poor and, you know, I look at, you know, where my family is financially right now and they're still struggling and, you know, we all help each other. And I laugh because it's the same that within my circles in general is that, we kind of tend to just pass resources to each other, (laughs) you know, in order to help pull each other up when we need it. It's like, 
you know, we go back and forth like, oh, you need this. Okay, well, let me help you. And so we're passing around Mm -hmm. resources and we do this with my family. And I always crack up because it's like, oh, let me borrow $20. And then you have another, you know, like your dad or somebody's like, do you have $20? And so you're just passing, you know, that money to each other to help you get through. And I see so much of that in our native communities. And, you know, it's such a privilege to be in that position to where you can access a different resource. You know what I mean? Right. Um, I don't yeah. know if I'm saying that right, but you know what? It's because like even with my mental health I'm picking health up care, what you're putting down. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But like even with my mental health care, you know, like um, I was able to get help. And the first time that I got help that I guess you would say that actually helped was because I had a therapist who didn't understand me at all. And I was actually so frustrated that I quit going to sessions. And I knew I needed them, but I quit going because she could, like, I couldn't relate to her. I couldn't communicate, you know, what I was feeling or anything to her. And what made a difference was the fact that she started coming to me. Like, she started searching me out. Like, if I missed a session, she would go look for me. And, you know, she started to find out, you know, places where I hung out and places that I'd be, and she would just show up. And so she reached out to me and she made an effort and she had to unlearn too. Like I had to learn how to communicate to her, but she also had to learn how to communicate to me and to kind of let go of the misconceptions that she had about native people. Because the biggest point of miscommunication was that for her natives were alcoholics or drug addicts. And that was the stem of the problem. And you know, we couldn't communicate past that. So she had to unlearn a lot of what she was taught about native people and a lot of the stereotypes that she had. And I had to learn to, you know, communicate with her and also stop looking at her as an enemy. And, you know, that was, it took us probably about a year and a half. And, but she really helped me and that, and she literally, you know, saved my life and helped me save myself. Like she wasn't trying to be a savior. She was trying to give me what I needed to take care of myself. And she did. And, you know, our native communities lack that because our mental health care providers, our health care providers never want to step beyond, never want to go the extra mile to understand you know, the, that we're in a very unique situation as native people because of that historical trauma, but also because of the contemporary trauma that we face through colonialism. And so, you know, it is a privilege that, you know, for me to have gotten that help. And I see that and it's, it's always a reminder, you know, like this is what we're working for. Like we're trying to gain more access for our people to get the help that they need to be able to live not just, you know, try and just make it day to day, but to actually yeah. live in every Not act- just to survive, exactly. but to actually live. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Which is why I'm glad, you know, that we're having this march because, you know, as I said, I love when Native people come together because there's so much healing in that because you get to see Native people who are living and who are not just living, but who are fighting and doing so much more for you know, just for the future. 
and putting you know, so much work and love into that. So I'm always glad, you know, I'm excited for the March, which talking of which, could you give us some more detail on, you know, what is going to happen through the March um, and when? Yeah, the specifics. Yeah, yes. absolutely. So um, kind of for the day, yeah, we're really excited. We have a, uh, a pretty action-packed weekend, actually. Um, so the uh, on that Friday, uh, we are doing a on no, I should say gift dates exactly here. <laughs> so on Friday, the eighteenth uh, of January, we are doing a eight a.m. gathering at the Building of Interior Affairs in Washington D.C. Um, the address there is eighteen forty nine C Street Northwest. And at nine a.m., once we've all congregated, we are going to be offering prayer. And I'm really excited about this because we have so many wonderful languages and people coming from all over the world to offer their voices in prayer to give us some our peace before we step off on the ground. From there on, we will do our march to the JFK Hockey Field at the National Mall. Um, as well, we will be doing a rally from 11 a.m. until 5 p.m. with some amazing speakers. The uh, rally location is uh, 1964 Independence Ave Southwest in Washington. Uh, yeah, our speakers, um, you know, you are speaking, which is really exciting for us to have you come and uh, share your voice as well. Um, yeah, and then the rest of the weekend we have... Um, Actually, the following day after the march is the uh, Women's March. And then on the 20th in D.C., we are having a leadership meeting. And it will be the first of its kind for our um, organization where we're going to be discussing with uh, water protectors, tribal leaders, um, different indigenous leaders from around the world are all going to come together and try and come up with viable solutions to the issues that are affecting and directly affecting the indigenous people and our sacred earth and then from there on you know we're just going to keep on trucking along with our um events actually i forgot to mention too this is so silly of me i I feel daft for not mentioning it we actually the night after the march so on the evening of the 18th we are having a benefit concert which is really exciting uh it'll be at songbird music house and uh, we've got a whole uh plethora of indigenous artists that are going to be there uh gosh, um some of them we've got uh Reeve Kalel, Doc and Spencer, uh Batiest, um Alex Brittany, uh Defy and Natani Means, and then our headliner is Superman. So it's gonna be uh pretty awesome. You can get all the details for the events, any info on the march that you need on our website at indigenouspeoplesmovement.com. And who would people contact in case they wanted to sponsor or send a letter of support? Um, so really great on our website. Everything is all there. So we do have a full contact form. Uh, you just need to put uh, what it's pertaining to in the subject matter, whether it be sponsorship, whether it be, you know, um, providing any type of assistance. We have a volunteer form as well up on the website that you can fill out if you'd like to, you know, lend a hand, which we definitely will need. We are expecting quite the turnout, which is really great. Um, yeah. And uh, what was the other one that you said? for uh, offering a letter of support. Um, (laughs) Yeah, sorry. Uh, That is on the website, too. You know, if you want to be really specific, it's indigenouspeoplesmovement.com backslash IPMC. And that's where you can find all of the people who are supporting us thus far, as well as the uh, support letter template. Awesome. Yeah, I'm so excited for this March and I'm excited to speak. I was just thinking this the other day that I used to get really nervous before I spoke. And 
I don't know, over the last couple of years, now I just get fired up because it's almost like yeah. you don't have to worry about being censored anymore <laughs> or, you know, right. like, like holding back and like trying to coddle people. Like, you know, there's such a tenacity that I see in native people now that, you know, it's like, say it like it is. Don't hold back. Well, because, it's, it's, you know, it's not the worry about offending anymore. Yeah. It's just speaking a truth. And that's, you know, kind of comes with that, that era, you know, it's, you know, we aren't looking to offend people, we're looking to tell them our truths. And this is the best uh, way to do it is, you know, by uniting and coming together, and having so many voices come forward and speak the truth. And that's, you know, what the world needs to hear. It really is. And, you know, I'm so excited for this march. And again, I'd really like to thank you for speaking with me today. And, you know, I can't wait to meet you in D.C., um, because I know that's going to uh, be some fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's going to be yeah. some nerdy <laughs> I, I'm winking through the phone right now. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Again, I would like to thank you for taking the time to talk with me today. And to all our listeners out there, please do support the Indigenous Peoples Movement and the March in D.C. I'm Johnny J., and you're listening to Indigenous Flame. Until next time, remember to start each day with Not Today, Colonizer.